You are listening to X-Ray. Election Day is Tuesday. Election Day actually started some days ago. They're already in Oregon. Hundreds of thousands of ballots cast in the United States. Millions of ballots cast on the air right now. Longtime congressman from Oregon, Peter DeFazio. Representative, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Jefferson, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to folks in Portland. It's an unusual election. Uh, Portland TV only covers 20% of my district, uh, Lynn County, a red county, uh, a tiny bit of uh, Benton. Uh, but where I've been on Portland TV because uh, they're spending $6 million against me and they've been up on Portland TV, so we had to go up to the most expensive house race in the history of the state of Oregon. How expensive is it up to now? Last time I saw it, last, th- last numbers I saw it was somewhere three or four million maybe each side. I think we're talking, uh, if you consider outside expenditures, et, et cetera. Uh, he's got some super PACs, NRA and others uh, putting in money on his side, right to life, uh, and that. That's uh, going to be well over $10 million. Holy mackerel. And I have to say, I've seen the ads here in Portland. My wife, my wife and I commented, wow, don't usually see ads from your congressional district. I remember when I was at University of Oregon seeing Peter DeFazio ads, but it's been less frequent. Now, were you surprised? Have you been surprised by this particular campaign, this particular candidate? No, they, they chose him um, uh, very early on. They've targeted me since January of 19. They cleared the field for him. Um, They got my perpetual uh, crazy opponent, Art Robinson, out of the race. Uh, Scarlatta's met with him, asked him to get out. Art refused. And then the Republicans said, well, we'll buy you a state Senate seat in Josephine County. And they did. So uh, woe betide our state Senate. Art Robinson is the new state senator representing Josephine County. Uh, and then there was an even crazier batch, a crazy woman in there, Joe Ray Perkins. Uh, she And they were worried about her even. Uh, so they gave her money to run against Merkley. They cleared the field for this guy. Uh, he has a profile. They've been doing this around the country. Uh, you know, military uh, profile, absolutely no public service, actually no employment record except for uh, one job at Costco and Dancing with the Stars, and he lists himself as an actor-investor. Um, and they've tried to keep him off of legitimate media and only on right-wing stuff. Uh, and then, but then they run ads on the legitimate media, uh, contradicting what he says on right-wing media. So it, it's been, uh, it's it's a new pattern. I was interviewed by a Washington Post reporter about this. He was trying to put together a story on it. So what you're saying the dynamic is when he, anybody's going to ask him a question, anybody where there's going to be have some back and forth accountability sort of dialogue. He limits that to a Breitbart or a, or a Fox News brand of media, but then uses that. Oh, yeah. they, Go ahead. They put him on Fox a lot. Yeah, no, he's refused. Uh, for instance, he came out against uh, any additional uh, COVID relief. Uh, he's teamed up with Ted Cruz, who's blocking it in the Senate. <clears throat> Ted Cruz has given him 100000 bucks. Uh, so uh, he has said there should be no additional COVID relief. Uh, and uh, that's on tape from the Eugene uh, Rotary. And then they tried; he tried to back off on that. Uh, he he said uh, there should be no minimum wage. And then he tried to say, well, I just meant there shouldn't be a federal minimum wage. I, I didn't mean Oregon. I, I love Oregon's minimum wage. Except he said, no, no, the government should not set a minimum wage. It should be up to business and industry. Uh, and on and on and on. Repeal the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you know, repeal Roe v. Wade. But uh, 
he won't uh, repeat any of that on legitimate media. Uh, we're having to put it in ads. And then he stays on right-wing media, but he uses that to raise money to communicate with everybody else. But that communication is, of course, decidedly one way. Well, the Trumps have brought in most of the money. They love him. Uh, every time he asks for money, uh, Donald uh, Trump, uh, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump retweet to their 92 million followers and say, send this American hero money. And the checks pour in, uh, tens of thousands of checks, actually. And so you can say, oh, I just get small contributions. Yeah, all solicited by Donald Trump. What are the other dynamics? You're looking at your race. What are some of the most important dynamics people should be aware of, in addition to the one we've just been talking about? Well, I mean, a lot of people in Portland, even people in South Eugene, don't uh, have a clue about about this district. Uh, Hillary won it by 552 votes. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is, I have seven counties, and uh, four are deep red. One is red, and two are uh, uh, blue in the urban areas, and then uh, purple in the non-urban areas. So it's a, it's a tough district. Uh, you know, I don't tell people uh, anything different on any media, I, and I've gotten a long way by being honest with folks and saying, no, this is, this is what I'm uh, going to do. They're attacking me mostly on uh, co-sponsoring the Green New Deal. Uh, they've run a lot of ads, and they have a lot of postcards. I don't know how you make AOC look ugly, but uh, they got her looking really ugly next to a very ugly me on uh, super postcards, uh, et cetera. That's been their main line of attack, uh, uh, has been uh, on my progressive credentials, uh, you know, co-founding the Progressive Caucus and those sorts of things. Southern boundary of your district. I mean, you get down to you get down to maybe Myrtle Creek. You get down to Rice Hill. At least I know I've stopped for ice cream there. I think that's your district. Oh yeah, no, I got all Douglas County. I got most of Josephine County. I got Curry County at the border. So it's Curry, Coos, uh, Douglas, uh, then uh, Lane, Lynn, uh, Benton. Oh, I left out Josephine. Yeah, and Josephine. Your and, and a lot of your votes, of course, come from you get votes, of course, throughout the district. A lot of your votes do come in uh, in in Lynn County, Benton County and Lane County. And I think because you've been in Congress and had such a track record and now, you know, you're in a have an important committee spot that I think there are people who said, oh, well, there's they can sort of take the race for granted. Has it been have you had to sort of rattle some cages to let folks know, hey, listen, just because I've been able to win in this district doesn't mean you can take this district for granted. Is that taking a little while for people to uh, wake up to? Oh, yeah. We have something called the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, actually, we polled uh, last December because I had a primary opponent, and but we threw in a question at the end about this guy. And even though I had 55% job approval rating, uh, at the beginning of the poll, after they read this guy's bio, we were tied. Yeah. Uh, so we went to the, did further polling and uh, after the primary and went to the Democratic campaign committee and said, you know, if, if you would go out and define this guy, he's going to try and uh, avoid uh, any issues uh, and uh, just run on being a hero. And that's what he's done. And uh, if you would just go out and define him with a little bit of money in August, because uh, I, I can't go out and rip his face off, uh, you know, that wouldn't, that wouldn't look right, uh, then this won't be a, a real difficult race. Well, they just kind of shrugged it off until about four weeks ago when they got a two-point poll and they said, oh, you weren't kidding. It's like, yeah, right. And then I 
had a message from one of the leaders in the House yesterday saying, gee, uh, I guess we really did always kind of take you and your district for granted. <laughs> and now it's close. Your view, as I, as I think about times when longtime incumbents have not won, have you know, lost a race and surprised people, I started thinking about what the day, and I was talking about it with my, with my dad, who I know you know, and mm-hmm. when uh, and I was thinking about the dynamics, and we thought about Bob Duncan against Ron Wyden, uh, thought about Tom Foley uh, up in Washington, and we you know looked at some other examples. He talked about Wayne Morse, and some of the dynamics that occurred to me were one, a district or you know it could be the whole state, but a district changing right, not changing a lot, but, you know, changing at the margins in an important way. Second, is if there is a surprisingly strong candidate. Uh, extra, you know, if there's a, a young Bob Packwood who ends up building a stronger grassroots base or a stronger funding base or a stronger endorsement base than imagined. And then third, and this was and this was Dad's take on Wayne Morse, uh, and I think also on Bob Duncan, a an incumbent who doesn't see the challenge coming. You mentioned AOC. That was another one we we referenced. You saw this challenge coming, but maybe some of the folks who, as you said, the the C, I think as the kids call it, uh, mm-hmm. didn't see it coming as much. What do you think at this moment? How do you sort of play it out? I know you're in the business. You know, you got four days to win this race, not to prognosticate. But ha- we had this discussion just the other day. I wonder what you see are the most important dynamics when a race flips from a longtime incumbent to some upstart. Well, um, in the case of Tom Foley, uh, I remember being in uh, uh, whip meetings with him, and he would start uh, carrying on about what the New York Times uh, said today. And I would just think, you know, Tom, there's nobody in your district reads the New York Times. Uh, you know, he became a creature uh, of Washington. Uh, you know, I, I served with him for a while until he, until he lost, so I, I knew him uh, better than most, uh, you know, Wayne lost over a uh, principle. Uh, he was one of two people to oppose the Vietnam War. That was pretty much it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've always respected him for that. Uh, and uh, then there was Al Ullman from Oregon, who, again, really didn't live here anymore. He was the last Democrat to chair a major committee in the House. He lost sometime in the 1980s. Uh, Denny Smith, a uh, right-wing Republican, had a uh, photos uh, which showed Al Allman's house, which was a post office box. He didn't live in Oregon anymore. So they're trying to say that I live on a yacht in Washington and I've been there 50 years. Well, obviously I've been there 50 years. I live on a boat. It's the cheapest way to live. It's uh, got 350 square feet of interior space, smaller than one of the bedrooms in Alec Scarlato's 4,400 square foot out-of-place, ugly brick mansion, uh, which he owns mortgage-free and lives in alone overlooking the Umpqua River. Uh, so I don't. I think he's a little more out of touch. He's the guy on the hill. I live in Springfield, uh, never moved my family to D.C., but they're trying to uh, pretend that I did. And, you know, people who don't know me, uh, after they've spent $6 million or $7 million bucks uh, running those ads, uh, they might believe it. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're fighting back against that. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I'm the same person I've always been. But that's that's what I see with most people. Uh, they lose touch. They don't uh, they don't live in home anymore. They, they become creatures of D.C. And last thing I want to be is a is a swamp creature. And boy, it's sure swampier now with Trump, the most corrupt administration in the history of the United States. I mean, maybe 
Uh, there was some in the late 1800s that was really bad, but they didn't have the powers that, that the government has today. So the most corrupt and dangerous administration in the history of the United States of America. Uh, I will tell you, I could, uh, I, I would love to talk to you about that at great length. I've got to at least ask, of course, so much about the president has been in the news and he has dominated so much of national attention over the last four plus years, even prior to being elected president. What, where is an area that you think people have missed, though, even in all of this attention? Where is an area that helps you understand this presidency in a way that maybe not everybody in your district or everybody around the country might understand? Well, the problem is, uh, you know, he's just the uh, just the face and he just keeps distracting people while they are systematically dismantling government. He just promulgated a rule uh, saying that um, that they can for political or other reasons, uh, they can fire any federal employee for anything uh, they deem inappropriate. And in this administration, that means crossing President Trump uh, and uh that's an extraordinary, and that will go into effect just near the time when hopefully he's out of office. Uh, and I'm certain Joe Biden will reverse it the first day. Uh, but they have corrupted the agencies. I don't even know who's head of EPA or Interior anymore because they've had so many scandals with these corrupt people. But they bring in people who are efficient. They're former lobbyists for oil and gas. Uh, you know, they're dismantling uh, protections, uh, you know, for our public lands. Um, you know, they uh, they have undone the Clean Water Act. I mean, seriously, the Clean Water Act. Uh, they want to go back to the good old days when uh, uh, rivers burned <laughs> and the Willamette was an open sewer. Um, it's just, I mean, they are efficient at, um, you know, delivering for the worst, most rapacious uh, special interests. Yesterday, he uh, delisted wolves uh, for the ranchers. Uh, so that they can go out and slaughter uh, the recovering wolf population. I mean, day after day, you, you, you don't notice a lot of it because um, it's just because uh, all you're doing is paying attention to his antics and his like, watch me over here. I'm being crazy, by the, but his people are at the same time uh, totally dismantling things that we all care about uh, and they're going to have very long term damage. And then, of course, the major issue of climate change and what they're doing to uh, uh, you know, getting us out of the Paris Peace Accord was just the beginning. I mean, what they're doing day in, day out to discourage renewables and push uh, fossil fuels. I mean, uh, you know, he hasn't had much success in reviving uh, coal mining, um, but uh, but they're pushing for uh, drilling, uh, you know, offshore and in sensitive federal lands. Uh, there just should be no federal leases uh, for uh, oil and gas extraction, and hopefully that will come under the Biden administration. You mentioned Al Ullman as the last chair from Oregon in the House from a major on a major committee from Oregon. Uh, my dad actually was an Al Ullman aide back in the day prior to moving to Eastern Oregon. Uh, you're one of the things that, and, and I, know, I understand that it's a hard thing. What you want to make in the campaign is a case that, no, wait a minute, I'm still the same guy. I'm the same guy I've been my whole life. I've, I'm living in 350 square feet living space and I've kept my family in Springfield and that guy's trying to spend $5 million to convince everybody I'm a yacht owner who's moved to the East Coast. Then, it, then the following argument is a hard one to make. But for those of us who care about Oregon having influence in Congress, you are in a in critically important sp spot for Oregon to have influence. And I know that's probably hard. How do you end up 
campaigning around that? Do you just not put it in ads, but maybe you talk about it in fundraising? It's something you do talk about, don't talk about. How do you deal with that dynamic? Hmm. Well, I mean, I have talked about and emphasized my work on infrastructure, uh, you know, my whole time uh, in Congress, and it, and it has helped. But right now, people are pretty distracted uh, from reality. Uh, I am, you know, and again, uh, they're attacking me uh, on the Green New Deal, and the Green New Deal was hortatory. I applied the principles of the Green New Deal in the in the country's first 21st century infrastructure bill. Uh, America's falling apart. Uh, we've been living off the Eisenhower legacy. Uh, you know, things wear out, and actually some of the rail tunnels on the East Coast, uh, uh, one that could block up the whole East Coast, was built in 1872 under Baltimore tunnels under the Hudson, 1906, uh, you know, the bridges across the Columbia here, 30s, uh, you know, these things have a lifespan uh, and they have to be replaced. Uh, and, you know, in doing that, we can do it in a way where we defossilize uh, transportation, we move to electrification, potentially hydrogen, but right now electrification is the best bet because hydrogen, you have to produce renewable hydrogen and then you have to figure out how to transport it. You can't put it in regular pipelines. Uh, but electrification we can do. And my bill uh, pushes us in a big way toward electrifying national highway network. I mean, Tesla's built an 80,000 pound truck electric uh, and Volvo, Daimler, Benz and Freightliner are building them now, but there's no place to charge them. Uh, and, uh, and people who own electric cars, if you know anybody, they have something called range anxiety. Uh, there aren't adequate uh, charging infrastructure for people to have electric cars. Um, you know, and so we, we're going to take care of that. We need a huge investment in transit, existing transit. We need to spend $100 billion to bring it up to a state of good repair, let alone build out new transit options uh, for people. Uh, so, um, you know, I do those things. And as we rebuild it, we're going to rebuild it resilient uh, to uh, climate change, severe weather events out of here to earthquakes. Uh, they've actually invented carbon negative concrete. Right now, concrete produces 7% of our carbon pollution. They haven't, we, we now uh, just visited a company in my district that is uh, beginning to experiment with uh, a carbon negative concrete. They actually uh, uh, encapsulate a carbon in the production of, of the concrete. Uh, and so um, I'm gonna encourage all those things and we're gonna create millions of jobs, but they're just attacking me on it. Always for the Green New Deal, it's going to destroy America and jobs. I was on with the electrical workers, and they're saying, well, hey, what's this with you and the Green New Deal? And after I explained it to them, and I said, well, what we're going to do to electrify the National Highway Network, they're like, oh, that's not bad. We're going to have to have a lot more apprentices. I'm like, yeah, you're going to need a lot more apprentices. <laughs> so, um, it, but it's hard to explain that stuff, Jefferson, in, in, you know, in the daily context of the campaign. Jim Weaver just passed. You were his aide. He, for people who don't know Jim Weaver, he represented, roughly speaking, your congressional district. I mean, lines have changed a little bit since then. Uh, passed away at mm-hmm. the age of 93. I have to imagine that was, I mean, this is a relationship of yours, right? I mean, this is not, this is not merely mm-hmm. a colleague. Uh, and I'm wondering if you have any remembrance you want to offer or any perspective that people should understand for those of us who care about Oregon history. Oh, uh, Jim, Jim was a mentor. Uh, you know, I, I had uh, I worked for him in the district office uh, for a couple of years, and then I wanted to go back to D.C. and and I just really opened my eyes. That was what really got me on this path. Uh, being in D.C., watching Jim, uh, you know, he was calling him out on things. Uh, he did a major wilderness bill at a time. 
uh, when uh, you know this district was totally timber dependent. It's still uh, in the southern part heavily timber dependent. Uh, I remember the demonstrations and the log trucks circling the Lane County Courthouse where it was holding a town hall meeting. You couldn't hear anything inside because they're you know using their jig brakes and blasting their horns and and that uh, you know he uh, uh, he opposed uh, the Washington public power supply system, the, the uh, five nuclear plants in Washington State that became a huge scandal that ultimately, I brought to a halt with uh, by signing, uh, filing a citizen lawsuit here in Springfield, but I was inspired to do that by Jim. Uh, he he was uh, an, an amazing figure, came from the reform class, the Watergate class, anti-Vietnam War, um, even though, you know, he, he had been um, in, the, in the military uh, at the end of the war. Uh, so, he, you know, he was kind of like a, well, he was certainly a, a political father figure to me. And, and uh, uh, we're going to have to uh, get everybody together on a Zoom call and and drink and tell stories about about Jim, those of us who worked for him. There are, there are a lot of great stories. Your district, and I had a chance to sit down with him uh, when he was alive, when I was when I was in Eugene. I guess I wasn't living in Eugene at the time. We were it was when we were doing the bus project, and uh, and he, uh, I still still cherish the memory. And he was I didn't know him well, but we had. Uh, but he offered, I remember one of the things, he wrote a book, I think, was it called Half and Half? His hypothesis was that basically about half the people are compassionate in how they vote and think, and half the people, I forget, frankly, the adjective he used, I don't remember if it was a colorful adjective or otherwise, but the other half of the people are, are less so. Is that a, was that a theory he discussed with you? Oh, yeah, Jim, Jim, uh, yeah, at some great length. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's kind of a, it's been a while since I, I do remember the book. It's that's about 20 years ago now. I, I, I can't really recall the the whole the whole theory. It was it was more elaborate than that. But but uh, he's pretty much called on the future polarization uh, of the country, and he always worried about the rise of fascism. Uh, and uh, you know we're seeing that now uh, with uh, with these uh, right wing uh, militia groups uh, and uh, and Donald Trump encouraging them and you know a would be authoritarian leader. Uh, so uh, you know he, he what he the stuff he was talking about 30 years ago, uh, you know the worst things that he would talk about, uh, he was right on. Your district, your congressional district, I think is the most interesting in the state. Right now, it's the most important in the state. I also think it's the most interesting district in the state because of its ideological and geographic diversity and that you have managed to be elected in that district for 34 years is a testament to a bunch of things. And I'm sure you get asked questions like this at a number of times. You've got to, I mean, you've got to somehow pull off winning college kids at U of O and OSU and not get your tail totally handed to you in Roseburg. Some of that I know is uh, your take. Well, I just do kind of what I do, and I try to be the person I've always been. But what do you think for people who are trying to understand how not how do we find a midpoint in our politics, but how do we find a more progressive populist uh, movement that can bring together geographically disparate regions? Well, what we got going on now with with this guy Trump is a faux populist movement, false populist movement. Um, you know, pretending uh, it, people are really hurting out there. 
um, you know, a lot of people uh, used to vote for Democrats. I mean, you know, you, there was a great article in the New York Times uh, last week or two weeks ago about this woman reporter who's been tracking the Rust Belt for 20 some odd years. And I mean, the Clintons and, uh, you know, free trade, NAFTA, uh, MFN for China, all that, uh, you know, put these people uh, out of work. Uh, and in my district, uh, you know, because of environmental restrictions, because of mill modernization, I mean, a, a big sawmill 30 years ago employed three, 400 people. Uh, today, I have, you know, what sawmills are left employ uh, 50 people, and they're clean. The floors are clean, and you know, I mean, it's it's a whole different industry. Um, and and they're they're hurting. Uh, they're worried about themselves, their kids, the future. Um, and and you've got to address uh, those needs uh, and and those concerns, uh, and and that means uh, you know bringing jobs back home. I voted against every single free trade agreement. Uh, that gets me a long way, and taking on uh, the powers that are that are screwing people. Uh, you know, this I'll give an example of how you can do this bipartisan. Uh, just whenever we were last in session five weeks ago, four weeks ago, I can't remember. Uh, I. Uh, offered a bill to take away the antitrust immunity of the health insurance industry, only only professional baseball and health insurance, well, insurance, all insurance, have antitrust immunity. Uh, and it was brought up under something called suspension of the rules, requires a two-thirds vote. It got a unanimous vote in the most bitter partisan Congress in the history of the United States. Uh, I got a unanimous vote to take away antitrust immunity from health insurance because, uh, you know, there are certainly Republicans who didn't want to vote that way, uh, but they knew their constituents uh, wouldn't like it if they said, oh, it's okay that they collude to drive up your premium prices or to exclude your coverage. And all the things they'll be able to do again if the ACA is repealed by the Supreme Court uh, before we can restore it in Congress, a lot of people are going to be hurt. Uh, so there are issues that can bridge the gap. I think uh, my my uh, my tax on Wall Street, uh, which uh, you know is now going to be uh, implemented in in Europe or, or was before the pandemic. I don't know where they are on the progress on that. Uh, bringing back a transaction tax that we had from 1916 to 66 built the greatest country on earth. Why why do people who are useless, uh, the Bob Mercers of the world, who spent a million bucks against me in one campaign? Uh, hedge fund billionaire who front runs the market with with algorithms. He's a mathematician and makes billions of dollars and makes uh, you know makes stock trades uh, more expensive for pension funds or individual investors. Uh, people hate those people, but we haven't taken them on uh, enough, uh, and we need to do that. and And that's a major focus of mine. Has been, will be uh, uh, through the Progressive Caucus, and we are now the largest, I believe, outside of. The other caucus I founded, uh, beside the Progressive Caucus, the Craft Brew Caucus, which is the largest caucus in Congress and bipartisan, uh, the Progressive Caucus, I think, is the largest uh, Democratic caucus there is. Uh, and we're going to have more clout in this administration. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland, Motor 7.1, 91.1 FM. I know, Congressman, you're running out of time, and I know that we've got to get to the next show in a second, but i got to ask this. what, In addition to antitrust enforcement, in addition to... Uh, tax policy that is uh, beneficial for middle-class Americans and middle-class constituents of yours, in addition to fair trade, what is the economic plan for rural Oregon? It does 
and rural America. It does strike me as somewhat shocking that what they think it is is what what Alex Carlotto seems to think it is is tax cuts at the very high end and deregulation for corporations that aren't ever going to be headquartered anywhere near a lot of your constituents' homes. What's the economic plan for your town, your towns, not just not just Eugene, but you know Coburg and Dune City and Sutherland, et cetera? Well, uh, part of, you know, I, I carried not only my uh, uh, 21st century infrastructure bill through the House, but the entire Democrats moving forward uh, package. Uh, and uh, in that package, uh, we had, for one thing, for rural America, is the, uh, is the digital divide. Uh, you know, I mean, kids right now have to go to school remotely. Well, I got one heck of a lot of constituents uh, who don't have uh, any Internet access and definitely don't have broadband. But part of that bill is to have nationwide broadband access to, to stop the digital divide. And we've seen, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that can bring economic uh, development jobs uh, to rural areas because business is dependent upon it. Uh, I've got a, a, a little uh, manufacturer down on the south coast of Oregon who who builds uh, uh, stuff for the for the Coast Guard ships and for other ships. Uh, they build hatches and things like that. And when I was visiting them years ago, I said, "What's your biggest issue?" He said, "The biggest issue is we can't transmit our documents, uh, you know, that from here. Uh, you know, we've had to go to a very expensive satellite service because uh, when we're trying to bid on these jobs, uh, you know, we don't have internet." Uh, so uh, that that will help in good part. This new industry for wood products, which can use small trees, uh, which this cross-laminated timber, uh, you can build uh, 15-story buildings out of cross-laminated timber. And by the way, um, that wood sequesters carbon as the tree grows, and it's going to be sequestered. The cross-laminated timber is going to last probably a couple of hundred years uh, in this new construction technique. So. And we have uh, one uh, CLT uh, mill in my district, and there's one up uh, on the edge of my district, Kurt Schrader's district. Uh, they're not going after the the big old trees, uh, and uh, they can work uh, with uh, you know with very uh, with small uh, with small trees. So that can bring jobs on the coast. It's uh, keeping the harbors dredged, and I, we just I did pass another bill unanimously. I guess I probably passed the only two substantive bills out of this house uh, in this Congress unanimously. The Water Resources Development Act, where we're going to finally access $10 billion that's been collected in taxes sitting in the Treasury uh, to rebuild our jetties, uh, South Jetty, Coos Bay, our North Jetty needs rebuilding, the Columbia River Jetty we're finally working on uh, to keep our, our shipping industry uh, robust, uh, smaller jetties and, and dredging to have safe entrances for commercial fishing and for the recreational fishing. Those are incredibly important things for the coast. Uh, of Oregon. Um, and so I work on, on those kind of things, targeted bread and butter things. They're going to bring and keep jobs uh, here. Um, and then the trade policy, I still is the biggest one. You mentioned it, but I'd mention it again. Uh, we can bring home a hell of a lot of jobs. Uh, uh, you know, this was, if we didn't learn anything else during this pandemic, and when you still can't buy a, uh, a, a legitimate N95 mask in a store, uh, you know, they, we used to, 20 years ago, all the N95 masks in America were made in America. Uh, and now they're all made in China because, uh, you know, 3M and other major corporations found out they could do it cheaper there. Uh, well, uh, you know, we can put in place policies that bring that to an end. If they don't have fair labor practices, if they don't follow 
environmental protections, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, uh, we could put a carbon fee uh, on on uh, goods coming in from countries that are major polluters. China is now the biggest. They're talking a big game about renewables, but they're building a coal plant every week over there. So uh, there are major steps we could take to revitalize wide swaths of, of the American economy. Representative Peter DeFacio in the closest congressional race in our region. Thank you so much for being generous with your time, and thanks for your service. Okay, Jefferson, thank you. Uh, we'll get on uh, again some other time, hopefully in talk in the past tense about Donald Trump and what his administration did. I look forward to that conversation, Congressman. <laughs> okay. Be well and good luck to you. Okay, thanks. Bye.